All right, the praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. And our topic as is recorded here is House of Merchandise. And it has to do with the mixing of religion and business. Because as we know, many church organizations today use religious authority to establish businesses and marketplaces. And so we're going to look into the Holy Scriptures and find out whether or not this is what the will of Yahuwah represents. And so let's go to the, the uh, question that was asked um, with the next slide. Good day, Paul. I have a question. My family, relatives, and friends are arguing or having some sort of discussion between the church uh, because the church now has a marketplace, wet market, night market, etc., or engage in business in the open. And it now has branches in the Quezon City area. I remember in John 2, 13 and 22, and Christ Yahusha was really angry because of the buying and selling inside the temple court. Other brethren said maybe it's okay because it's not inside the church premise. But for me and for some, this religious activity or for the church to establish businesses sometimes in the guise of foundation and charity is against God's will. Uh, what's strictly prohibited before, they are now doing openly, and no one stands up or objects to it. Even if it's within or outside the physical temple premise, religion should not engage in business, right? Please enlighten us. That was question number one. Question number two is, my second question is John 2.19. All right, Yahushua replied, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The first part of the previous verses, Yahusha refers to the physical temple, telling everyone not to turn the house of God into a marketplace. But in this verse, he shifts, he shifts it to himself as the temple. I was just wondering why. Uh, thank you, Paul. So these are the two questions we're going to be addressing today. Let's address question number one. First of all, uh, let's look into this comment. I remember in John 2, 13 and 22, and Christ Yahushua was really angry because of the buying and selling inside the temple court. And when we read the Gospels, which relate to us the story of Yahushua here on earth, we find Yahushua oftentimes to be merciful and loving and compassion, right? That is the nature of our King Yahushua. But there are also times when he had and exhibited righteous anger, and this was one of those instances when Yahushua became angry. Let's read all about it in the book of John, chapter 2, 13 to 14. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Yahushua went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. So during Passover, Yahushua goes to the temple in Jerusalem, and when he arrived, what did he find? He found money changers doing business there in the temple premises. And so when Yahushua saw this, the money changers doing business in the temple area, what did Yahushua do? Let's read 15 down to 16. When he had, uh, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And so what did Yahushua do? When upon reaching the temple, he saw the money changers 
conducting business, people selling, and people buying. Yahusha became angry. In fact, he was so angry, what did he do? He made a whip of cords and he drove them all out. Take note, all of them who were involved in the practice were driven out by our king, Yahusha. They were driven out of the temple. He poured out the money changers' money and overturned the tables. You can see Yahushua was pretty physically strong to be able to do that. We can see Yahushua was very expressive in his anger. And Yahushua tells us the reason why he was angry. He said, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So the temple was the house of Yahuwah Abba. It was a sacred place. It was set apart, set apart for the purpose of worshiping Yahuwah. And so it should never be used in any other way except for that. This is why when you use the premises as a place to sell merchandise, we are blaspheming the temple of Yahuwah. So Yahushua is firmly, emphatically against selling things, selling merchandise in the temple area or in houses of worship. Well, why when Yahushua did this and the disciples were looking at what was happening, what did they say? Let's read 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so they remember the psalm and they remember about the zeal that this person had, which is, of course, Yahusha, a zeal for the house of Yahuwah. And so this zeal is about devotion, deep devotion to the house of worship. This is what Yahusha had. And when you have zeal for something, when you have devotion for something, anytime something defiles the temple, right? You're going to react to that. You're going to respond to that. And so when the house of worship was being defiled because money changers were there conducting their business, Yahushua responded with zeal and devotion. Hence the expression of his anger, overturning the tables, driving out the uh, business people. Uh, so we can see the zeal of Yahushua. You know, uh, I grew up in a church, not going to mention the name of the church, but in this church, they had the same zeal for the house of worship. I remember when after service was done, there were some businesses being conducted, like say, selling Amway products, remember that? When people sold Amway and things of that nature, and they were selling like, like their, their goods, their handmade goods in church premises after the worship service. Because of the church's devotion and zeal for the house of God, you know what happened? There was a, a strict rule that came out, which stated you cannot sell and engage in personal business affairs in the place of worship. If you want to engage in personal business outside of church uh, premises, that's fine. But do not do it in the temple or in the house of worship uh, premises. And so that was the kind of environment I was growing up in. They had a zeal for the house of Worship, which is good, because Yahushua also had the same zeal for the temple or the house of worship. However, what happened to that zeal? Well, well, let's go ahead and go back to the question. Something kind of grabbed my attention in this person's statement. What's what's strictly prohibited before? And so this person belonged to a church, right? And before it was strictly prohibited 
for the church to engage in business, but now they're doing it openly. And so there's no longer that zeal for the house of God, for the house of prayer. The zeal was lost. Yahushua, he was different. He had the zeal in the beginning of his ministry, but even to the end of his ministry, did he still have the same zeal? Let's read John 2, 15 and 16. This was what we read earlier, right? This was at the opening or the start of the ministry of our King Yahushua. He went to the temple. He saw the money changers. Because of his zeal for the house of worship, he overturned the, temp, the, the tables. Fast forward three years later, and we are at the end of the ministry of Yahushua. And what does he do when he goes back to the temple? Matthew 21, Yahushua went into the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stools of those who sold pigeons and said to them, it is written in the scriptures that God said, my temple will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a hideout for thieves. And so when Yahushua at the end of his ministry, no longer the beginning, but at the end of the ministry, did he still have that same zeal for the house of God? What is your answer? Yes. When he went to the temple, he saw people buying and selling. What did he do? He did the exact same thing. And this time, he quotes passages from scripture. This is the reason why religion and business should not be mixed. Yahushua said, you are making uh, the temple a hideout for thieves. When Yahushua said that, he was actually quoting from the book of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he gives prophecies. And in our studies, prophecies are patterns, right? Patterns where we can learn uh, certain things that happen together. And so Yahushua quoted Jeremiah because after three years, remember, he began this three years ago when he told them, get rid of all this stuff in the temple, but they would not listen. And of course, the higher-ups from the, San, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish people, they knew all about the corruption and the using of business in temple premises. They knew all that, right? But despite the warning and teaching of Yahushua, they did not, they were stubborn in, and they did not listen to the warning of our King Yahushua. And so Yahushua quotes, but you are making it a hideout for thieves. What was included in this pattern? Let's read the book of Jeremiah. What Yahushua quoted, 7, 5, 10, 11, change the way you were living and stop doing the things you are doing. Be fair in your treatment of one another. Stop taking advantage of aliens, orphans, and widows. Stop killing innocent people in this land. Stop worshiping other gods, for that will destroy you. You do these things I hate, and then you come and stand in my presence in my own temple and say, we are safe. Do you think that my temple is a hiding place for robbers? I have seen what you are doing. And so our King Yahushua knows the human condition. Often when you find authority being used to promote a business, corruption is included in that pattern. This is why Yahushua quoted Jeremiah, which speaks of the people of God misusing their authority and power. They use their authority not to help, but to oppress and take advantage of aliens, orphans, and widows. And we see this pattern again and again, and it often involves making money. This is why Yahushua is so against buying and selling or using religious authority 
to sell products and engage in business. However, when we go back to the question, something comes up, which is also relevant to our study today. And the person asking the question says, one brethren said, uh, maybe it's okay because it's not inside the church premise. And so before uh, the question was, is it okay to buy and sell in the temple premises? You know, maybe in the parking lot or maybe in the foyer or maybe near the choir loft, right? Maybe in the basement, inside, in the place of worship. And so in, in the place of worship where the brethren are gathered. Now, it's no longer in, involving the place of worship, but the church itself. When we speak of the church, is of course, the religion, right? And so brethren are saying maybe it's okay because it's not inside the church premise. Even if it's within or outside the physical temple premise, religion should not engage in businesses, right? Please enlighten us. You're absolutely correct. Even if it's not done in the house of worship or in the temple premises, religions, in my opinion, churches should not engage in businesses. Why not? Let's read the book of Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. When Yahushua was here, there was, of course, the temple of the Hebrew people, right? The physical temple that was destroyed. There's no more physical temple. However, there still remains a temple of God, who also is considered the temple of God. The people. This is why Apostle Paul said, you are the temple of God. We are the temple. And just as the physical temple is defiled, when you conduct business, buying and selling within its premises, involving the people of God, the temple of God today also is a defiling of the temple of God. This is why the church itself, which is the temple, right? The church itself, which is the people of God, we should not be engaged in business practices under the leadership of the religious authority because members of the church, can they conduct their own personal businesses? Yeah, absolutely. That's no problem at all. What we're talking about is religion, religious authority using their authority to conduct a business, right? When the church itself, under the guise of a foundation, maybe, oftentimes that's what they use, a foundation so that they can't get taxed, things of that nature. And so they will sell t-shirts, right? They, they, will, they will sell merchandise. Sometimes they, they establish schools, Sometimes they establish hospitals. And so they conduct, they have all these businesses, but the authority behind it is what? The church, the religion. The Bible says the people of God should not be involved in things business. We are the people of God. And Apostle Paul also mentions this in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, in that union. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols for we you see that? We are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. So it's clear during our time, the temple of God, that's the people. That's those who belong to uh, Yahushua, the followers of Yahushua. They're the people of God. So they should not be engaged in 
business. Why not? Well, what, according to Apostle Paul, should be our focus? And what did he teach us concerning this focus that we ought to be doing as a people of God, followers and disciples of Yahusha? 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Yahusha Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlist, enlisted him as a soldier. So the assembly, the church itself, the people of God, the followers of Yahushua, what should be their focus? Their focus should be what Christ tells them to do as a good soldier follows the leader, right? Who's our leader? Yahushua, we're good soldiers. So good soldiers should be focused on the task at hand because there's warfare taking place. And so we should be focused on what the, our general, our leader is telling us to do. And so if we are focused in that work, what does Apostle Paul say we must never be involved in? Apostle Paul says we must not entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. So the work of the assembly, the work of the church is to do what Yahushua wants us to do, right? Not to be entangled in the affairs of this life. And what are examples of the affairs of this life? Well, according to the one asking the question, the church now has a marketplace, a wet market, a night market, etc., or engage in businesses in the open. There's probably a dozen more, perhaps even more than that, that they dabble into to make a profit. Apostle Paul said they are entangling themselves in things that have no bearing in fulfillment of what our master wants us to do. Do you know what we should be focusing in, focusing on instead of having a marketplace and a wet market, night market, you know, like selling water or selling bread, selling things and merchandise? What should be our focus and when we carry out this focus, what did Yahushua, our king, prohibit us from doing? Matthew 10, 7 to 9, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. And so Yahushua said, this is your task. Your task is to announce the kingdom of heaven, which is also our task, right? To promote the kingdom of God. This is the work the church should be engaged in, not in the world's affairs. This is why Yahushua said when he sent out his disciples, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins, because they'll, they will not be engaged in any kind of business. Their focus is to do the work of Yahuwah Alahim. This is why Apostle Paul and our King Yahushua agrees the people of God, the church, or the ecclesia, per se, should not be involved in business practices. And what is the warning of Apostle Paul when the church begins to think that we can use the name of religion and the authority of religion as a way to make money? Apostle Paul says, uh, Timothy 6, 5 to 8, and constant arguments from people whose minds do not function and who no longer have the truth. They think that religion is a way to become rich. Well, religion does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. What did we bring into the world? Nothing. 
what can we take out of the world? Nothing. So then if we have food and clothes, that should be enough for us. And so Apostle Paul is speaking about certain desires that can ruin the ministry of the church. What is that? When people think that religion can be a way to become rich, or maybe they're planning to have a concert, right? They're going to have their talents, sing, sing some songs, and then they get fundraising. They're using religion as a way to make money. Maybe they're going to uh, engage in businesses where they will have their members um, sell products for them, right? Maybe vegetables or I don't know. What else can you sell? Shoes. Yeah, shoes, mushrooms, yeah, things of that nature. They will sell all those things. And so they use that as a way to become rich. No, we're not using that to become rich. We just want to build these magnificent houses of worship. Apostle Paul said, wait a minute, right? What did we bring into the world? Nothing. What can we take out of the world? Nothing. So then if we have food and clothes, shouldn't that be enough for us? And so Apostle Paul, Lord Yahushua, he never told us that we're going to build this impressive monuments and colossal places of worship. That's not the, that's not the focus of the ministry. The ministry is to focus on the coming kingdom of God. And so when a person, when a religion begins to use, to, begins to think that religion or religious authority can be used to become rich, that is bringing danger into the ministry. You cannot have a mixing of relationships. You know, even professionals here in the United States and also in other places throughout the world, they practice what is called ethics, right? And the purpose of ethics is to protect, protect the people from professionals, because sometimes when people know a lot, they can take advantage and exploit those who do not know much. And so we have the, many people who belong to professional organizations, they have certain protocols that they follow, and its purposes is to protect the people they serve. I think that's something that church leaders ought to be following as well. Church leaders ought to be practicing professional ethics because church leaders are, when you think about it, they're professionals, right? Because they serve the people and they should be aware of the tendency for authority and power to become corrupt and eventually harm those whom they should be serving. And so to protect the people, for example, the National Alliance for Social Workers, uh, they have a code of ethics in section 1.06, page 9. This, this is what it states. Social workers should not engage in dual or multiple relationships with clients or former clients in which there is a risk of exploitation or potential harm to the client. The way that translates in the church setting is this. Church, religious authority, and the people they serve, that's a relationship right? That's one relationship. If you have an existing religious relationship and you add another relationship, a business relationship, what do you have? You have conflicting relationships. It tends to exploit and it brings harm to the client or the patient, in this case, to the members that the religion are serving. Because when you are, you represent religious authority, the members you lead they're not inclined to say no. They'll be forced to say yes, especially if the religious authority demands absolute uh, submission, right? Especially if the religious 
authority tells them you cannot question the leader, then when you have that kind of relationship and you bring in a business relationship, you are bringing a big ethical issue. You are harming uh, the very, very people you serve. And always remember this, the pattern in the Bible is what we see again and again, using the authority of religion to engage in profit-making schemes often lead to corruption and the abuse of power. Is this true? Yeah. You know why? Apostle Paul says this in Timothy 6, 9 to 10, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires, which pull them down to ruin and destruction for the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it, uh, to have it that they have wandered away from the faith and have broken their hearts with many sorrows. Apostle Paul tells us about the danger of money. Do not give the devil a chance. If you have religious authority using their power and authority to force the members to engage in some kind of business led by the church, then you are introducing the possibility of money corrupting their way of thinking. This is why it's very dangerous. Apostle Paul says, do not get caught in that trap. Do not fall into that temptation. Why? Because the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. We've seen this again and again. And it's throughout scripture, throughout history. Whenever you use authority to make money, whenever religious authorities invoked for making money, it always leads to corruption and the abuse of power. So Apostle Paul, what does he warn us when we have religious leaders who are thinking and already implementing uh, religious authority to establish businesses? This is what Apostle Paul said in 6.5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So Apostle Paul says, if your church is losing their focus. Maybe before they had the great zeal, but they lost that zeal and they shifted their focus away from spiritual to material. Apostle Paul says, withdraw from that religion. This is what Apostle Paul's teaching us because always remember, corrupted minds always begin often by a love for money or by greed. And so they find themselves themselves in this rabbit hole and they get led away from the truth and it leads to many many heartbreaks and a path of destruction okay so this is why the church should not be engaged in business individual members yeah no problem but the church as a whole religious authority being employed and invoked to establish a business that's against against the teaching of scriptures well what should be the only source of financial support for the needs of the church. Because after all, for the church to operate, they need financial uh, funding, right? They need financial support. Does the Bible give us the correct way to financially support the ministry or the assembly or the church? What should be the only source of financial support for the needs of the people of God? 2 Corinthians 9, 12 to 15. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ 
or for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thank be to God for his indescribable gift. And so if the church should not use businesses, buying and selling in order to generate the financial support so that the needs of God people can be met. What then is the prescribed way that was given by Yahuwah for his people to meet the needs of the ministry or the people of God? What is the answer? It is by the giving of gifts, the offering, the voluntary contributions of the people of God. And so Yahuwah will supply the needs of the people of God by moving the hearts of the people of God to give generously for the sake of the needs of the people of God. And this is the practice of the people of God ever since the time of the Old Testament, right? The tithing that was prescribed. And even during the time of our time, the Christian era, it is also the principle of giving offering. And so in this way, Yahuwah can provide for the needs of his people. You don't see anywhere that the, the first century church established a business. Could they have done so? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what kind of business they could have established? They could sell holy water. Right? They could sell uh, bread. They could, you know, they can give you, they can give services and have you pay for it. They could have established a business, but that's not what they did. They followed the teaching of Yahuwah. They followed the teaching of Yahusha. It is through the giving of offering that the needs of God's people will be supplied. However, having said that, what also did Apostle Paul say concerning the giving of offering? 2 Corinthians 9.5, so I thought it was necessary to urge these believers to go to you ahead of me and get ready in advance the gift you promised to make. Then it will be ready when I arrive. And it will show that you give because you want to, not because you have to. This is an important part of the idea of giving offering. Giving of offering should come from Yahuwah, right? Moving the hearts of the people. And when a person's heart is moved, they will give not because they have to, but because they want to. When they give because they want to, not because they have to, then it's a gift. And that's what Yahuwah requires from those who give. They have to give according to their hearts. What does that mean? What is the promise of Yahuwah? Seven to nine, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you, all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And so what is the instruction of the apostles when it comes to the giving, the voluntary giving of the gifts for the purpose of supplying the needs of God's people? Bible says we should give according to our own heart and we must not give in response to what pressure there's so many ways you can give pressure right 
For example, when someone gives you an envelope, imagine giving you an envelope. That's giving, if you, you get an envelope, you're being pressured to give, right? Or maybe they visit you in your house and then they talk about giving. If they go to your house, automatically you feel what? Pressure, right? Or maybe they post on some kind of board how much you gave. Maybe they're monitoring how much you're giving. What is that doing? You're adding pressure. Apostle Paul says, no. The people should be giving from their heart as moved by Yahuwah. It's giving by grace. And this is how we ought to give. This is how it ought to be practiced. We should not give reluctantly. And when we give from our heart, what is the promise of Yahuwah? The scripture said, so this is Yahuwah's promise. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is why for those who were giving offering, praise be to Yahuwah, that there are people who are like that. And Yahuwah notices them and Yahuwah God will bless them and remember forever their good deeds. So the early Christians, the early Christians, they relied solely on the giving of offerings to fulfill their ministry. They did not engage in business or in buying and selling. Why? What do they express when they rely only on the offerings, the voluntary contributions of the people of God? Hebrews 13, 5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Why does Yahuwah God not want the church to engage in business? Because if they engage in business, they are relying on the power of men, not the power of God. The church ought to be the living examples of people, of people relying completely upon Yahuwah. And to trust Yahuwah when it comes to financial need is really allowing Yahuwah to move the hearts of the people. To, meet, to generate or to give uh, the funds or to give their offering instead of forcing the people, you know, by engaging them in business together. That's not Yahuwah's way. When people engage in business, if they're not content with Yahuwah's method, it means they're not satisfied. It, it means they love money. And so they endanger themselves. And so what is Apostle Paul telling us when we continue to rely upon Yahuwah's uh, ways and power. Second Corinthians 4, 7, yet we who have this spiritual treasure are like common clay pots in order to show that the supreme power belongs to God, not to us. And that's the whole point. You see, sometimes a ministry, a church, a religious group, they want to be able to control with their own power, right, the welfare of the church. And so they think of man-made ways, selling, a, creating a marketplace, selling, selling things, having a foundation that they can reach out to and use as a business, right? And so when they have all these ways, they're relying on their own strength. But Apostle Paul says, no, you know, we're like common clay pots who rely on the supreme power of God. How do you show that you rely on the supreme power of God? You rely only on God's provision through the giving of voluntary offerings, not with engaging in business. Second Corinthians 4, 7. You know, one of uh, my favorite Bible teachers of all time, 
He also uses 2 Corinthians 4, 7 when it comes to churches not being involved in the practice of business. And one of my favorite Bible teachers of all time was Brother Irani Manala. Brother Irani Manala, in the July 23, 1995 worship service, this is what he had to say, quoting 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You see that? 4, 7. This is different from the case. This is the note. This is the application of the passage. This is the di different from the case of the Catholic Church, which spread because she fornicated with kings of the earth, or Islam, which gained converts by conquering cities, or the Mormons, whose expansion is due to their commercial ventures. And so Brother Rani Manalo used uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to teach us we should rely on the power of God instead of human power and human business so that the people of God will grow, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And so Brother Rani Manalo, in the August 2 worship, uh, 1998 worship service, he asked the question, how did the Mormon church become rich? How did they succeed? Harper's Magazine, May 1980, Cult of Mormonism, page 67, tithing is only part of the Mormon wealth. The church owns or controls uh, three insurance companies, 13 radio and television stations, uh, newspapers, clothing mills, department stores, a village in Hawaii. I thought it was a museum in Hawaii, but a village in Hawaii, a book publishing companies, UNI Incorporated bookstores, a Salt Lake City shopping mall, three hotels, and a 285,000-acre ranch in Florida. Hmm. The church also owns dozens of big modern office buildings in downtown Salt Lake City, including those uh, housing Union Pacific, Utah Power and Light, uh, Kennecott uh, Copper, J.C. Penney, Beneficial Life, and Medical Arts. All told, this monolithic enterprise uh, brings more than $3 million a day, more than a billion dollars a year into one central apostolic kitty. <laughs> and this was back in 1980, right? And so that was quoted by Brother Irani Manalo to drive home the point that the, the, uh, the church uh, that Brother Irani Manalo preached did not rely on business, but relied only on the power of God and the promise of God that Yahuwah would provide for the needs of his people through only the offering, right? And in the September 1, 1994 worship service, he says, uh, during its nascent years, the Church of Christ was ridiculed and persecuted. Messenger of God, who started this mission, had practically nothing, and yet this church spread and grew relentlessly. Unlike the Catholic Church, it did not use the power and resources of the state and its rulers to propagate the faith. The Muslims have waged war against nations just to win people to the religion. The Mormons and other religious denominations are into commercialism and business. But the Church of Christ depended solely on God's promises. God promised not to forsake his nation. And so this church has become a global church. And so this is why... The Bible does not endorse and it criticizes, it prohibits, really, it prohibits the church from engaging in business because it's in a way not showing a lack of trust in who? Yahuwah. And a trust in what? Man. And whenever you see that shift, that shift from trusting Yahuwah and into shifting to trusting man's strength and human strength that's no longer uh the people of 
God, okay? And so again, we see the pattern of mixing religious authority and profit found in other teachings. We talked about Paul already, right? Let's look at Jude and Peter and John and even King Yahushua. What do they say about this pattern of mixing religious authority and profit? Let's read the book of Jude, one, three down to four. Beloved, while I was a, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Yahushua Christ. And so here's Jude. He's writing to the followers of Yahushua and he's warning them, exhorting them to fight for the faith. Why? Because of the warning, because of what was to come, because the apostles knew there will be religious leaders who will infiltrate the church and they will teach doctrines that will result in one's spiritual ruin. And so Jude, he wanted to preserve the faith of the people of God, and he warned them about these religious teachers and religious authorities. What did he say? He said, be careful not to follow their ways. Why? Because they will turn the grace of God into lewdness. In other words, they will teach all you need to do is belong to this group, and that's all. You don't need to really follow the teachings of God. It's a license to commit sin. Even if you do this crime or that thing, it's okay so long as you are here. Maybe, and there are those who say, so long as you believe, right? So-called faith only. The Bible says, no, do not let them change your devotion. Do not let them turn the grace of God into lewdness. Do not let them turn the grace of God into a license to commit sin. And so when Jude was warning the people of God, about these religious authorities, what did he also say? How can we recognize them, these religious authorities? Jude 111, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So how can we recognize these religious leaders who can ruin the faith of the people of God? Jude says, woe to them, because they have gone in the way of Cain. Remember the way of Cain? What's the way of Cain? That's the way of murder. That's the way of hatred, right? And whenever there's any religion that promotes hatred, that's not the religion of God. Don't stay in that religion. What else? It mentions their way is the rebellion of Korah. Remember Korah? What did he want? He wanted the priesthood, right? He wanted also the authority of Moses. Remember, Moses is equivalent in terms of the mediator of the covenant. He's the mediator of the old covenant. <laughs> Korah wanted that. That didn't belong to him. He wanted to be priest too. That didn't belong to him. And so he wanted something that was not meant for him, meant only for certain individuals, right? During the New Testament time, it was for Yahushua. And sometimes there are people today who claim that their authority when it comes to religious authority is way outside the boundary of what Yahuwah has prescribed. Yes, there are spiritual leaders Yahuwah God placed, but it should never ever replace Yahushua, right? Because when you think about the leadership 
uh, in the people of God. During the days of Israel, there was the king, right? Then there was the high priest. And then there was the prophet, right? In the New Testament time, Yahusha replaced all that. He was the only leader. But if you're going to act like you are also using the authority that only belongs to Yahushua, the mediator, then that's the rebellion of Korah. What else? And right here also, the Bible mentions they run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Do you remember Balaam? Remember King Balak? When he hired, he hired Balaam uh, to place a curse upon the people of Israel. But Balaam knew there's no way he can do that because Yahuwah protected the people of Israel. Remember that? But so that he can get paid, so that he can get profit, he can get money, because that was at the core of who Balaam was. It was making money, making a profit. He was greedy, right? Although he knew he could not place a curse upon the people of Yahuwah, he cleverly taught uh, Balak uh, to to, a way to convince, uh, to bring the people, to bring a stumbling block to the people of God so that they end up destroying themselves. Okay, so he wanted the money even though he knew he could not do it. So that's the error of Balaam. When you are motivated by rich, getting rich, motivated by material wealth, then easily you can be led into the error of Balaam and the truth will evade you. So this is what Jude taught. How about Apostle Peter? Let's go to 2 Peter 1, uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3. But there were also false prophets in Israel Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be the lame. So when a religion will force people to give money through offerings or whatnot, or by engaging in business because they want their money, there is what Apostle Peter was speaking about when there are false teachers like false prophets during the days of Israel, uh, the Israelites. And so we need to be on the lookout for them. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. We need to watch out for People like that. This is why, if you notice in the internet and also mass media, you have all these religious leaders who are being uh, noticed because of their wealth, their luxurious lifestyles, right? Like the one in the Philippines who has a jet, his own private jet, and he's he has his own paradise. What is that paradise called? Garden of Eden. He has his own Garden of Eden. Right, and there are many like that. I mean, there's so many religious preachers today who are they're just living in luxury, and we cannot help but think of the warning that Apostle Peter gives. And what did he say about these false teachers who, in their greed, will make up clever lies to get hold of your money? Second Peter again, two fourteen and sixteen. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into their into sin and they are well trained in greed they live under god's curse they have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps 
of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from this mad, his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. So there's Balaam again. You know, Balaam represents the use of religion in making money. That's what Balaam represents. This is why Jude warned us about it, right? And the apostle Peter is also warning us about it. And he's telling us that these people are well-trained in greed. What does that mean? They can convince you to give your money to them and make it appear as though you're doing something for God's glory. They're well-trained to do that. This is why we have to be careful when it comes to people who use religious authority to convince you to set up business with them. What else? So we have uh, Paul, we have Peter, we have Jude. How about Apostle John? This is what he says, a revelation from Yahushua, Revelation 18, two down to four with a mighty voice. He shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The king of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. When you mix religion and business merchandise, that's the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Balaam, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the devil. And so we need to heed this warning from the Apostle John. And lastly, who also taught us, warned us about Balaam. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Who's the one speaking here? Yahushua. He's speaking concerning the seven assemblies. And he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. There's Balaam again who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so this is a perfect, perfect example for why religious authority, when mixed with making profit, when you have Nicolaitan, the, the teaching of Nicolaitans, and the teaching of Balaam together, it will result in corruption and an abuse of power. This is a perfect example. Balaam and the principle learned from Balaam is not to, uh, not to use profit in, in the way of serving Yahuwah Abba. Okay, this is the way of Balaam. And the Nicolaitans, the word Nicolaitan comes from two words, Nico and Laitan. Nico means ruler. Uh, Laitan means clergy. And so Yahushua was against clergy having authority over the lay people to the point that the lay people do not have any right to question their leaders. That's the way of the Nicolaitans. It's the misuse of power and authority. And so there are people who engage in the ways of Balaam, because they say, well, we have no choice. We have to obey our leaders. That's the way of the Nicolaitans. So when they're combined, that makes for a dangerous combination, right? When you, when you combine the teaching of Balaam and the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so 
this, if this is what we see in our religious organization, I think, brethren, we have to really open our eyes and ask Yahuwah to give us enough strength to make the right decision in our life. Yahuwah is giving us all these clues. And so we have to really, we have a choice to make. What are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the voice of Yahuwah or are we going to follow the voice of fear? That's the only choice we really have. And so Yahuwah wants us to follow him, to trust him and to be with him. And so the last part in that question, number one, that I want to look at is when the person was asking the question, what's strictly prohibited before they are now doing openly and no one stands up or objects to it. So whatever church this is, whatever religious group this is, not only are they following the ways of Balaam, they're probably following the teachings of the Nicolaitans because no one dare stand up to the religious authorities. They cannot question the religious authorities. And that's a concern because when that happens, what is the pronouncement of Yahuwah? Jeremiah 5, 27, 31. Just as a hunter fills a cage with birds, they have filled their houses with loot. That is why they are powerful and rich, why they are fat and well-fed. There's no limit to their evil deeds. They do not give orphans the rights or show justice to the oppressed, but I, Yahuwah, will punish them for these things. I will take revenge on this nation. A terrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. Prophets speak nothing but lies. Priests rule as the prophets command. And my people offer no objections. But what will they do when it all comes to an end? That's pretty powerful. The Bible's telling us Yahuwah is holding to account not just the religious leaders, but also who? The people who follow them. The people who follow them. Those who offer no objections. This is why the Bible says a terrible and shocking thing. This was a shocking thing. Because they can see that only a few, the few who are leading them, they're fat and well-fed. They have filled their houses with loot. And they're prophesying lies. And then the shocking thing, the people let them do it. Why? Because they offer no objections. You see what happens when the ways of Balaam and the ways of the Nicolaitans combine? But Yahuwah wants us to stand up and make that objection. Yahuwah expects us that we will be filled with courage, that we will trust him and hold on to him. Okay, so if the person asking this question, if you are in that religion, the question is, why are you still in that religion? Get out. Get out of that religion and get out right away. Let's go to question number two. My second question is in John 2, 19. All right, uh, Yahushua replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In the first part of the previous verses, Yahushua refers to the physical temple, telling everyone not to turn the house of God into a marketplace. But in this verse, he shifts it to himself as the temple. I was just wondering why. John 2, 19, Yahushua answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. Ah, okay. Now, when Yahusha said this, what was the context? Let's read 14 or 18. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers in business. When he made a whip of cords, 
He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out, he changes money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And so here's the situation. Here's the setting. Yahushua goes to the temple, right? And what does he do? He overturns. The tables, he drives out the, the merchants, those conducting business. And when Yahushua did this, the Jews, perhaps Pharisees, right, who were watching what Yahushua did, they were shocked. Why? Because this was common practice. And so you, we, we can already see how corruption has been embedded so deeply, right? The, the love for money corrupts. And religious authority was corrupt during the days of Yahushua because this was common and this was tolerated by the Sanhedrin, right? And so when Yahushua decides to overturn the tables and drive them out, these Jews, wait a minute, what right do you have to do this? This is approved by the Sanhedrin, right? This is approved by the Jewish authorities. Who are you? And so they're asking Yahushua for a sign. Give us a sign. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? So that was verse 18. And verse 19, Yahushua answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. So that was the sign that he gave them. Because they were asking, what is your sign for you to do the things that you're doing? Because you're basically undoing what has been authorized that can be done. And so what's your sign? Yahushua says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. You see, the Jews, they always requested for a sign, right? The Greeks wanted wisdom, but the Jews, they wanted a sign. So Yahushua gave them a sign. Three days, I will raise it up. And so he said that in John 2.19. In John 2.20, what was the response of the Jews? Uh, then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And so they did not understand, right? And so John, who wrote this episode, who wrote this gospel, in hindsight, right? Because when Yahushua said that, the apostles didn't understand it either, right? His disciples didn't understand what Yahushua meant either. But John, when he wrote this gospel, it was after the event. Not during the event. He was not writing what was happening, right? It was after the event. This is what John says uh, concerning this statement of Yahusha, John 2, 21, 22. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Yahusha had said. And so the reason for Yahushua saying, if you destroy this temple, he was referring to his body, in three days he will raise it up. He was referring to his death and what? Resurrection. That was the sign. <laughs> and that was a powerful sign. And it's a sign that we, members of the assembly of Yahushua, must adhere to and hold on to and profess and confess. Why? How important is that sign? When Yahushua was resurrected, he didn't go straight up to heaven. What did he do in 40 days? For 40 days, Acts 1, 3, 
to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Yahushua spent 40 days to prove he was alive, gave infallible proofs that he died, but he also resurrected. That's an important part of the work that we must do in the assembly of Yahushua. Why? In Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Brethren, that's the work of the ministry. That's the work of the assembly of Yahushua. And I want you to remember this passage because this is our objective. We, the assembly of Yahushua, must tell people about Yahushua because we are witnesses to him. We have to tell people that Yahushua is who he says he is, that he is the anointed one, the Lord who died and he resurrected. You know how powerful that message is? That Yahushua indeed died and he resurrected? Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Yahushua is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is why we, the assembly of Yahushua, need to be fully engaged in this ministry of telling people and convincing people that Yahushua is indeed the Lord who died and was raised from the dead. Because if we believe this with all of our heart, we will be saved. This is why we need to really learn all about our King Yahushua. And what is the promise for those who believe that Yahushua died and resurrected? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, Thessalonians 4.14. For since we believe that Yahushua died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Yahushua returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. If we believe that Yahushua died and he resurrected, we too, if we die before Yahushua comes, we too will be resurrected. And receive salvation. And so this is our ministry. This is the work of the assembly of Yahushua. It's the sign that Yahushua gave. And it's the sign that we must believe. Yahushua said, destroy this temple. When he dies, he will be killed. In three days, I will raise it up. He will be resurrected. And so let us always have faith in this work of our king and master and Lord, the anointed one, our Mashiach, Yahushua. That is our lesson let us stand. We shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. Yahuwah Allahim, yes. thank you so much for the blessings we have received. Amen. Your teachings are crystal clear. Yes. The more we search the scriptures for answers, yes. the more illuminating they become. Amen. Thank you, Father, for giving us guidance. Yes. May your holy words help us to develop in wisdom, yes. to grow in faith, that we can be your useful instruments yes. in proclaiming godliness and righteousness. Amen. Loving Mashiach Yahushua, yes. with all of our heart, we believe that you died and you were resurrected. Yes. And that you will return so that we can be with you forevermore. Yes. And to receive the promised salvation and everlasting life. Amen. Father, please be with your people today. Yes. Bless your people throughout the world. Yes. Bless us with courage and strength to do what is right in your eyes. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.